After years of working on other people's video games, Eric Shy wanted to create a video game for himself. He drew inspiration from popular sci-fi franchises of his time, like Dune and Star Wars. For two years, he toiled away at his creation. First, he created the tools to actually make the game, and then it was out of the game itself. Now, he knew that he wanted to make a sci-fi game, but what about the rest? Well, the rest? He just made that up as he went along. Now, for some people, improvising a game would lead to nowhere. But for Eric Shy, it led to the creation of a very influential cinematic platformer, Another World. Today, we're going to take a look back at the development of Another World. We'll talk about the career of its creator, Eric Shy, and we'll look at its influence on games and game designers throughout the entire video game industry. So stick around and join us as we talk alien landscapes on today's trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 103rd episode of our Video Game Nostalgia Podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week, we'll tell you the story about one game relevant to the current week in gaming history. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world as its legacy. This week, we are looking back at Another World also known as Out of This World, originally released for the Atari ST and Amiga at some point in 1991. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who frequently visits barren alien planets. He's my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, what's it like traversing the stars? It's out of this world, Dave. <laughs> You know what, guys? I wish I could tell you that we planned this, but we never do, and he never ceases to amaze me. That was damn straight. That was lame. Call it what you will. Still got got to laugh. Very true. It did made me giggle. So, what have we been playing? Rock other. We got the Eagles, right? Rocket League. Oxygen not included. I could go on, can't I? Yeah, you're you're so far right. Um. Oh, Tarkov. You played Tarkov. I sure played Tarkov. Did I miss something that you played that I don't know about? You're forgetting the obvious one. What we played for this week? Well, that's the other obvious one. I meant the game I play in week in and week out. Rocket League, Tarkov. Oh, RuneScape. There you go. (laughs) I don't even know why I ask you anymore. (laughs) I mean, hey, I'm a man of culture. That's what about yourself, Dave? Obviously, we know you got Rocket League, Oxygen Not Included, and our game of the week. But are there any other additions to this gaming week? Yeah, I played a little bit of uh, Two Point Campus, which is, you know, build your own college strategy type game on Game Pass. Uh, I, I, got, I got an hour into it. I don't have very much to say on it yet. It wasn't it was, it was barely enough time to get through the tutorial and then we had things to do. So. But yeah, I I um I did that. Had a chance to play through this because this was not something that I had played back when it came out in '91. So this was a new game for me too, and that's it. 
we played Rocket League. Hey, we got to the finals of a diamond tournament. It's been a while since we've done that, so go us. Well, that's the first time you and I have done that. That's true. Very true. Yeah. Do you have any familiarity with this game? Prior to playing it for this week's episode, I did not even know this game existed. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't say that. I knew it existed. It just was not it it was just not a game that I had ever had an opportunity to play before, but I had heard about it. I knew about it, knew where it existed and why we wanted to do an episode on it. And so here we are. So let's talk about the game. Let's tell its story, shall we? Let's get into it, Dave. So Eric Shy started programming video games in the early 80s for various French, she's French, various French video game companies. He worked on games like Frog, Carnival Doggy, Danger Street, and A Journey to the Center of the Earth. These are all games. That's 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 about all I can say about them. In 1989, he worked on the graphics. He was I mean, he programmed, but he was primarily a graphic illustrator. Uh, you know, that's the specialty that he gained as he started working through these. And in 1989, he worked on the graphics of Future World Wars. Future Wars was a game designed by uh, Paul Cassette. Cassette? Mm, either or. Uh, fun little side note, uh, Paul, which is totally unrelated to this episode, would eventually be the designer on Shaq Fu, you know, a really big hit, really popular game for the SNES. Yeah, totally. Everybody, I definitely know what that is. Everybody knows what Shaq Fu is. Oh yeah, it's such a big name. <laughs> Luckily, Future Wars, a point-and-click adventure game involving time traveling, was a moderate success. And, you know, it was him and Sh Eric Shy, and, and Shy earned royalties from the game. And, and after this game, with the royalties he earned, he basically found himself at a crossroad. He was invited to go and work with Cassette on his next project, which was a game called Operation Stealth. Or, of course, the other thing is to not work with him. In this case, Eric Shy was debating whether or not to create his own game. Now, deep down inside, Eric felt like he really strongly had a story to tell. So he chose the latter, decided that he wanted to be the, you know, owner, his fate, his fate was in his hands, you know, so he decided to go make his own game. But he had gained all this experience as a graphic illustrator, it had been four or five years since he had worked on his own game. And his programming skills were kind of lacking because that was no longer what he was working on in these games. So despite this, he felt confident that with all the books and tools that had come out now, you know, when he first started doing this, there wasn't a lot of documentation, but this many years into all these Amigas and Ataris, there was a lot more documentation. So he felt confident that based on his prior knowledge with all the documentation now that he would be able to pick up the programming and work on both the design and the programming without any trouble. So Shai knew from the get-go that he wanted to create a science fiction game. He was inspired by Karatika, which is a game that we talked about before in our Prince of Persia episode. 
They were both created by um, Prince of Persia and Kiratika were both created by Jared uh, Mechner, Jordan Mechner, rather. Uh, and Prince of Persia, of course, is like the granddaddy of the cinematic genre. And the other game he wanted to recreate was a game called Impossible Mission. You know, his influences came from so many places, though. I mean, these were the games that he was thinking about. But obviously there were other things he was thinking about, right? So, you know, he was really inspired by all of the popular science fiction of the time. Like Dune was really popular. There was a bunch of, the, you know, the Dune movie in the 80s and the books were out and there was the Dune uh, 2 video game, which we'll cover later on in the year. Um, he was really inspired by the illustrations of Michael Whelan. Uh, Michael Whelan's work can be found his illustrations can be found on so many different science fiction novels and, and other things. Uh, in fact, Whelan is on the cut. His illustrations are on the cover of, of this dark tower series by Stephen King. The first and the last book were illustrated by him. Um, oh, wow. Just like you, just like you, Rob, Eric shy was also a big dragon ball fan, <clears throat> a really big dragon ball fan. And what he took, from Dragon Ball is he really enjoyed its tendency to suggest a whole lot using very little. Um, and so that was a narrative structure that he employed that he took from Dragon Dragon Ball. With that being said, the game also has a charging power attack that he openly admitted was really influenced by the Kamehameha. Isn't that how, how you say it? Uh, I mean, they say Kamehameha, but it's the Kamehameha. Is it the Kamehameha? Okay. Yeah, after right. King Kamehameha. Yeah, to make sense it's been a long time since i've watched a dragon ball the game also has laser blasters those were definitely taken from star wars so he's got all this this these little bits and pieces and then even furthermore he had recently played dragon's lair which is a game we covered recently huh yeah that we did and he was super impressed with the flat color animations that the game was able to implement on the amiga so much so that he thinks that in his mind he starts playing through and he thinks that he can come up with with a way to do something very similar using much less storage which was a problem that they had with that game and they had to you know basically sculpt it cut it stuff like that so he starts writing these graphical routines in in uh c basic programming language the basic most solid basic the first the granddaddy of what we use now because C-sharp is, you know, all of our stuff. And he then starts to take that elsewhere. He turns it and, you know, converts it to assembly language as an assembly language. He can get it to work as a polygon routine on the Atari ST. He then takes that polygon routine. He converts it over to the Amiga. And he gets his little demo running at a whopping 20 frames per second. Which to us is like, ugh. But at the time... That was pretty amazing. I think we, we 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 did an episode on Flight Simulator earlier this year. And I think if I remember correctly, they were excited on Flight Sim to get what, like 7, 10, 12 frames per second? Yeah, I don't remember, but it was probably pretty low. It was low. And so he gets his running at 20 and he's super excited. So he gets all the basics done, right? And decides how he has to come about it. And... You know, he was, like I said, inspired by Kiratika and Impossible Mission. And and it goes without saying that Prince of Persia would have been in the mix. So 
he takes Jordan Mechner's idea of how Prince of Persia was created. That's the concept of rotoscoping, where you take a video recording of yourself and then convert the images off the recording into actual animations. So he basically rotoscopes himself doing things and he converts that into polygons. So he's got all these things he puts together, you know, it, 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 he, he approaches this, he's got an idea, he's got a vision and he puts all the pieces together. And this is where his vision kind of stops. He has, come out and admitted that while he had a very clear idea of his game engine he mostly improvised the actual content of the game he basically as he put it let it develop layer by layer without knowing where it was going Hmm. so he finishes building all the tools to, to make his game and test it and he decides that he's going to do this chronologically. So he starts working on the intro sequence and he designs the intro sequence to showcase all the full capabilities of the game engine that he just spent all this time creating. Also, you can see, you know, he improvised the game. He admitted it was developed chronologically. So as the game progresses, and it's not a very long game, it's, you know, how long the beat has it at two and a half hours? I found a 30 minute playthrough. Rob, you found it condensed down to what? Less than 10 minutes? Uh, yeah, I was, <clears throat> I forget the exact time off my head right now, uh, but it was, it was around eight, yeah, eight and a half, maybe. It's not known for being a very long game. Um, it's not known for being a very long game, but because of the way he developed it, the story and everything was chronological. His, his feelings, his personal feelings you can you can trace how he felt about the development process through the game, which is kind of cool. We don't get to see that very often. So, for instance, it, towards the beginning of the game, you know, he started to t- undertake this endeavor, and then the weight of trying to de- to develop a video game on his own began to set in. And so, at this point, Shy admits that he began to feel a sense of loneliness and isolation. So, for the first sequence of the game. That's what it's designed as just to be alone in a really weird place, you know, and in his reflection of needing help, you know, at one point you gain an alien ally in the game and that's where the alien ally came from. That was his recognition that, hey, maybe I shouldn't have done this alone and people can't do this alone. So he put that concept into his game and and you can kind of see the ups, definitely ups and downs uh, spoiler alert, you know, there's a near-death experience in the game, and that was a point in development when Shy felt that uh, he barely could go on. Like, he was literally at his broken, breaking point, and that manifested itself into a near-death moment in the game. Now, there were other elements that were added as he improvised. He struggled with the animations of stairs. He didn't like stairs. He especially couldn't figure out how to get the look of climbing stairs correct. So I also ga- don't like stairs, Dave. I, yeah, I know. Me too. Me too. Uh, yeah, I don't really like stairs until I look in the mirror and then I realize they're necessity. So, <laughs> but Chai couldn't really nail down the anim- the stair animation. So the game uses elevators and teleports to move between levels up and down. 
he also knew, and it's pretty obvious based on his inspirations like Dune and, and, and the illustrations, he knew that he wanted to create a cinematic experience. So Shai chose to have no HUD. There's no there's no display, no no health, no here's what level of on. There's nothing on the screen. There's also barely any dialogue. Um, there's little I mean, there's no understandable dialogue. There's alien noises, but there's no understandable dialogue. Um he only wanted the world, the environment, the people, and the cinematics to convey what was going on. And that's what he did, frankly. I mean, Rob, you played the game. There's nothing. The game gives you nothing. No, it does not really give you anything. It's, yeah. Well, but that was the way games were back then. We talked about that with uh, King's Quest, right? That that was... You know, before the internet and everything, people people would get stuck because they couldn't figure these out because the games did not hold your hand like they do nowadays. I don't know if holding your hands to write the right phrase. I think it's poor game design personally when someone can't figure out how to move forward that you just you missed something. It doesn't have to like hit you in the face, but there needs to be something intuitive about the situation for someone to figure it out. Personally, I think it's poor game design when people hit those walls. Now, with that being said, the field of game design has changed in time. In the beginning, that wasn't always a priority. Sometimes we were limited by technology. You know, sometimes we didn't know any better, but we now have 40 years of video games, 40 plus years of video games, and game design itself were more aware of this and we recognize that we work through it more. Does that make sense? Yeah, I say so. All right, back to another world off my pedestal. So after about eight, 17, 18 months of development, the game's only about a third finished and shy realizes that he just can't sustain development like this. So he starts to simplify the process goes, goes back to goes back to planning. He, starts deciding that he can reuse background graphics. He starts refining some of his tools to make moving forward easier. Also at this point, he starts looking for a publisher. You know, if he could get a publishing deal slash more money, maybe he could hire more people. Maybe he can get some assistance. Uh, So, you know, 18 months in one third of the game, definitely time for a change of pace. So first he goes to his former employer, which was a, um, prior to working on future wars that was a um, company called delphine software and he began to feel them as well as others out he went to virgin interactive which was a well-known company they were really lukewarm about it and their suggestion was that he change it to a point and click adventure which he didn't like so pass and then in the process delphine comes back to him and, and offers him a publishing deal so it was July of 1991 and they wanted a November release. So he spent 18 months on one third of the game and then they want him to cram the rest into four months. So he did. He buckled down. Someone was willing to publish his game, you know. He storyboards the rest of the game, manages to manages to tear through it. You know, the total development time on this game is like two years uh, in fact, that was actually the game's tagline, Rob, when they advertised it. Uh, the tagline in the marketing material said, it took six days to create the Earth. Another world took two years. 
<laughs> nice. So, That's good. So the Delphine release is just okay. They didn't bother to play test the game. Um, it's buggy. It did okay for itself. Uh, well enough that they were able to start look for publishers elsewhere. And Eric Shy found himself a U.S. publisher in Interplay. Interplay did actually play test the game. Uh, they fixed the remaining bugs. They also suggested some changes. They wanted him to make the game longer. They wanted him to change the introduction music. Well, Shy was very attached to the introduction music. And there's a really funny story where they were insisting on, on making him change it. And he basically tried to change their mind by sending them an infinite fax, which is where you tape a piece of paper together in a loop. So the fax machine just keeps going in circles and all it said on it was keep the original music. Nice. <laughs> and he basically said interplay an infinite fax and lawyers had to get involved to make him stop. And they actually agreed to allow the other, mu- the original music, which is still in the game to this day. So what a protest infinite facts uh so another world you know that's how we got there let's talk about what it is it's a cinematic platforming action adventure game it tells the story of lester who is a young scientist and as a result of an experiment gone wrong finds himself on a dangerous alien world where he is forced to fight for his survival. That sound about right, Rob? Yeah, I'd say that sounds about right, Dave. I mean, you you and I, I mean, I, I don't know how long you played. I, I put about an hour into it. And I, I mean, you probably put enough time to get through the introductory sequence, right? The one that the Chai was so proud of. Yeah, I got a little farther than that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's like like I mentioned already, it's a short game. It's the uh, interwebs is two and a half hours, but I'll I, I'll post a playthrough. You can watch it in thirty minutes. It's Rob. What did you think about it? I'm not the biggest fan. I mean, I'm not gonna judge the graphics or anything because I'm sure for the time they're great, but I just felt it was very inconsistent. There were a lot of times where I would do the same thing over and over exactly the same way. And sometimes it would work great. Sometimes it would just completely fail. Um, I didn't like how little information there was. Like I, I get part of that is what they were going for, but um, like, I didn't know that the gun ran out of ammo. So I got to a point that I'm literally stuck behind a wall because I can't blow up the wall because I ran out of ammo. So it basically soft locks you. I maybe it's even considered a hard lock at that point. I don't really know. Um, but I just I couldn't proceed in the game because of something like that. And I had no way of knowing. Like I was like, oh, did the game glitch out on me or is this met like is this actually something? So I mean, without that, I guess, you know, reading the instruction manual may fix that if you had one for the game, which obviously I could have looked up. But as a kid, you know, I wouldn't have ever thought to do that. I just play the game and try to figure it out. And this one was not very intuitive. Um, but no. I think it's a cool concept. Uh, they they had definitely you can see the thought put into it. It's definitely got a lot of you have it's kind of puzzled you know you have to know do things in certain orders or else you don't proceed 
Um, but again, you know, I mean, one example is just in the first level with the snakes. I probably died there about 30 times. <laughs> yeah, I know. Me too. Damn thing kept. <laughs> it's funny though you you miss the snake and it 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 breaks your skin and then you just fall straight forward onto your face yeah so it was it was definitely frustrating but you know again i could see the appeal for the time i just wish that there was a little more intuitiveness put into it for someone trying to play it for the first time <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I get what he was trying to do. Uh, you know, I want to go back to something, though. You said you don't want to criticize the art style. Do you Do you think this game is dated? I wouldn't say that it's not. I think that it would fit right in in indie, like an indie gaming environment. I, I would I would argue that there are, it's a unique art style. There are games that you could find that were made yesteryear you know, yesterday rather that, that would have similar art style. I think, I think it's amazing that it was created in 91 and it holds up. I think it, I think it has a place today. I really do. I mean, I just, I look at this and it really reminds me of the old, uh, like three frame. I mean, maybe not three frame, but the LCD games, you had one, you had to jump across snake pits and fall. Yeah, Pitfall, exactly. I, I look at this and it feels like Pitfall to me. So maybe there are still games that are being done in that art style. But for me, when I think of that, I always go back to games like Pitfall and playing those when I was six years old. So, I mean, I just I guess that I just don't see the games that are more modern that have that same art style. I tend to gravitate more towards the ones that look pretty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know you to play a lot of the little indie games, so... um. No, I do. I think that this one holds up well. I think that I think it looks great. I think that it has a very specific art style. And and when you stack it up against other games at the time, I think that it looked really good for its time and and the consistency of how he designed the game has allowed it to age gracefully. I do. I think it's a I think it's a great game. I just don't think you can go into it looking like it's a triple A game, like it's a little indie game, you know? No, absolutely. I wouldn't imagine that it would be considered a triple A game. I really like its cinematic effects. I the introduction is cool. There weren't a lot of games at the time that gave you that 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 kind of back, that that much backstory. That makes sense. No, it was definitely an immersive experience and uh, I don't regret playing it at all. Um, like I said, I just feel that you can definitely tell that it was from a different time. And maybe part of that is the difficulty because the graphics, everything was so you had to be so pixel perfect in a sense. I don't really know. Um, like I said, yeah. I would do the same thing over and over again and it came to different results every time. And I think, that... I think it's the opposite games were far from pixel perfect back then. And I think you're just not used to how much give they had to have or, you're not very forgiving of how bad it was. Maybe is a better way to put it. Maps. Cause games nowadays, you don't have that kind of give and the, you know, playing back then I'm always like, eh, whatever it happens. Hitboxes sucked, you know? Um, but whatever. No, I, I, um, I can see that 1991 would have been what? Seven year old me, eight year old me. I think eight-year-old me's mind would have been blown if I had stumbled across this back then. 
Oh, absolutely. If I had experienced this growing up playing games, it probably would be a whole different experience for me. Um, I would probably have that nostalgic feeling and love it just as much as Turtles in Time or anything man. else from that we always played. But it was um it it's a it's a cool I I think it's a cool game. I think it's a short experience. I actually really like the story. I'm not going to go into it because it I mean it's short and it's easy to spoil it. But I, if you can figure out and play to the end, I, I really enjoyed the experience. Um, I really enjoyed the experience. I think this one was pretty cool. Um, but I agree with Rob's assessment that it's hard. It's stupid hard. And I probably would have been, I say I would have been very frustrated, but that's the way we had to play games back then. Like you just, you played it and you memorized through memory what to do. And so going through games just became muscle memory and you just, you did it as much as you needed and that that that's the way video games were so young me probably would have just dealt with it but nowadays stacking it up to modern game design yeah i i get i get it i do it's a pain in the ass for sure so all right rob well we've made it very clear how we feel about the game how did others feel about the game well dave it was critically successful selling about a million copies in the 90s. And as always, it's hard to find good reviews from that time, but there are little snippets here and there. So with that, we have Computer Gaming World who criticized the brief documentation and short length of gameplay, but praised the game's graphics and Amiga sound and called it one of Europe's most playable and enjoyable arcade efforts. Well, look, right there. Apparently back then they didn't like it either because brief documentation means that they were frustrated with not knowing what the hell to do either. So, See, and something small like that could have made all the difference. If I had known the gun needed more needed ammo and that there were only certain things, maybe I wouldn't have been so frustrated. But it locked, it, got, it put me behind a wall for quite a while and I just couldn't figure it out. Plus, I just couldn't figure out how to get past a certain point because the guy just kept shooting, never stopping. And how are you supposed to get past him if you're just going to fall into his laser? But every video I watched, he didn't get out because he had to break through things. So it was like my game was glitched or something. Okay. I don't know. know. It was weird. I don't know either. But anywho, retrospectively, Dave, it's easier to find reviews on the later editions, which is a given. And in a retrospective about its 15th edition, John Walker wrote an article for Eurogamer.net. In it, he writes that perhaps the most remarkable thing about another world is that it will quite happily let you charge off in completely the wrong direction to your absolutely certain death. Because you hadn't completed a task that would have been found if you'd chosen a different, equally unmarked exit than the one that initially appealed to you. But, your death seems to be your fault. So you attempt that route again, and again, and again. Another world certainly isn't fair. One screen sums this up perfectly. You're in a series of tunnels, but you can only see about a meter either side of your character. The rest of the screen enveloped in darkness. You can roll left or right, dropping into blank spaces. Some of them have spikes at the bottom. So the only way to get through the level is to fail until you don't. He continues to write that a restart at the top of the screen prevents this from becoming too infuriating, but it very much removes any element of skill from the process. It's a process of elimination. 
And while this all sounds negative, John thinks another world is completely lovely. In fact, he began to wonder if we've lost something in not having games that work this way anymore. Unquestionably, a vast amount of another world's charm comes from the art style. It's just fantastic. Chai's design is exquisitely simple and enormously evocative. Built from spare polygons, its paper craft-like animation conjures the world, the creatures, and the threat wonderfully. And never more wonderfully than Chai's own 15th anniversary remake. All in all, Another World, especially in its 15th anniversary form, is still utterly beautiful. There's something compelling not just about the graphics, but the simplicity of the story. The relationship with your cellmate and friend, the sense of progression against the odds, is calmly and cleverly told. It's utterly bloody, ridiculously hard in places. But then, as it turns out, it's meant to be. It it is meant to be. Uh, yeah, no, it's definitely it's definitely meant to be hard in some places, if not the entire freaking game. But anyway, Dave, we're going to take it to our last critic review, and this is an absolutely glowing review. ActionButton.net calls Another World the best video game of all time. To make their point, they write Another World is perhaps by default the best game of all time by our criteria. It was designed and programmed by virtually one man. It is not long. It features no heads-up display to clutter the screen. It features precisely one weapon, which can be used for three purposes, using only one button. It possesses unshakable confidence in the sharpness of its mechanics. It features puzzles whose solutions require no more than common sense. It has amazing music. It is gorgeous to look at, and it tells a story while it moves, relentlessly, never stopping, never preaching, never speaking, from the frightening beginning right up to the heartbreaking conclusion. Another World was ahead of its time in 1991, and it is still ahead of not its time in 2008. One might call it an art film of a video game. This wouldn't be a wrong description, so much as a lazy one. It's more of a silent film of a video game. Or, better than that, it's a video game of a video game. And while they have a whole lot more to say about the game, we'll sum it up with their own words. Another world is humble, honest, noble, and at the same time, hugely artistic and expressive. It tells a story... It presents awesome, unforgettable gunfights, and it lingers in the back of the mind for an eternity. It is the closest video games have yet come to a great film. And we probably shouldn't ignore it anymore. Every element that causes critics to jump up and down with joy in modern games existed in a perfect, pure form in another world. Everyone making games, or writing about them, or playing them, should either play it, play it again, or at least think about it. Because seriously, though we can't say with a straight face that we need more games like this, 
once we have a whole bunch more of them, we'll definitely start wondering what we did without them. What did we do without them? Uh, found other games to play that <laughs> played well. That That's what I did. Yes, indeed. But Dave, as always, we're not the average person isn't being paid to talk about these games. And although some people had good to say with the critics and there were definitely some people who had bad to say, we care more about the players. So with that, I think it's time to get in some player reviews. What you say? I think that's a good idea. All right. Well, then with that, Dave, we're going to kick it off with Zerwonkycott on GOG.com, who writes that this game is a timeless classic. It was truly innovative for its time. Cinematic storytelling, no user interface on the screen, context-related actions. Its main strength is, however, the amazing atmosphere that oozes out of every pixel. It simply is a beautiful game. The movements, the colors, the amazing music and sounds, everything just comes together perfectly. It has the real chemistry that every real developer aims for, and which has been painfully absent in a lot of modern productions. User Abracadabra420 on Steam writes that it's an epic landmark in the gaming world. This title still holds the magic it did years ago. With an art style that still blows them away considering its era and the unique feeling of revisiting an old friend, this is still a title not to be overlooked by new gamers or the old school fan. Brilliant proof of the power of artistic creation breaking the barrier of time and generations. Highly suggested. I love it. Someone else loves it too. <laughs> well, you know, there, there's, there's always going to be some who love it and some who hate it. But uh, I think next up we should take it to user JP Gray on Moby Games, who happens to call another world the holy grail of classy presentation and elegant gameplay. He writes that Eric Chai is as managed as <clears throat> yep. He writes that Eric Chai has managed to create a game that is more satisfying than nearly any modern game you will have played in the past five years and perhaps more satisfying than any you have ever played. There are no games like another world before it came out. And the lamer imitations can't quite capture the unique spirit of their inspirational source. It's simply that good. While the gameplay is nearly beyond reproach, the best traits of this classic are its imagination, gorgeous design, and above all, its trust in the player's ability to imagine, to commit to the alien world on its terms. The beginning of the game shows you one major ingredient of the game's genius when the primitive vector graphics are displayed in fully animated glory during the open cinematic. The crude shapes would seem cheap and disappointing if not for the precision and elegance which with, with which they are employed. Cinematic angles and an engaging trust in the player's imagination serve to make these primitive scenes interesting, even today. Lester's fancy car squeals into view, and we are treated to some of the green hologram-like interfaces flashback fans will be intimately familiar with as we watch a physics expert burning the midnight oil. 
Something goes wrong during particle acceleration, and suddenly, Lester and most of his console disappear with a flash of blue sparks and light. Immediately, you are thrown into the game. Lester must escape from the pool and the grasping tentacles or face what will likely be the first of many, many deaths. Once out of the pool, you'll appreciate the appealing sparseness of its alien landscape. With pale, simple blocks of color, an evocative alien world is realized. Misty pillars of rock trail off into the horizon below a crescent moon. A beast, colored in an impenetrable black, lopes into view and looks at you with red eyes. And then, a tentacle reaches for you from the heretofore calm pool surface, and it's time to move again. What's the point of this cinematic style? It makes you accept the world on its own terms. You don't think of Lester as an abstract object running lifelessly around a gaming world distorted and simplified into a recognizable gaming archetype. You live and breathe the world along with them because both of you are experiencing this exotic environment for the first time and it's full of wonders and adventure rather than trite platforming cliches. This game asks the player's imagination to fill in the corners to ignore the blockiness and palette limitations of vector graphics. All but the closed of minds will happily go along with that request. Those that do will be richly rewarded by this game, because a lot of love's been put into it. Another World is a revelatory platforming experience that has faith in the player to commit his or her energy to both mastering the challenges of the game and to completing in the blocky colors of the game world with his or her own imagination. They finish by saying the gameplay is simple and direct, with only six or so keys to master. Run, jump, and kick for starters. With the versatile gun, the player can now fire normal blasts, create a shield, or fire a charge burst that shatters both thin walls and shields. All with the use of one button. What can be done with these simple controls is a testament to the ingenuity of the game's design. An artsy, imaginative platformer, everyone should give a chance. Should they give it a chance, though? I I would say yes. Definitely give the game a chance. It seems I may be one of the few people who has dislikes of the game. That that I I mean I, I can still respect it. I just don't care for it. It seems like everyone else is pretty much on board and may have a small gripe here or there. Seems I'm an anomaly on this one, Dave. I don't know if you're an anomaly. I'm sure there's plenty of people that don't like it. Well, I mean, you're probably right, but at least the people who took the time to review it sure seem to love this game. I mean, it, it's special, but it's not my favorite game. I, I like I said though, I do think, uh, I do think that young me would have had his mind blown. Old me just kind of appreciates appreciates it for what it is. Uh, it appreciates, you know, I appreciate it for what it is. Absolutely, but that's it for critic reviews, Dave. So as always, why don't you tell us the legacy? So you said that. Another World sold a million copies back in the 90s. That, I'm assuming, includes all of the platforms from back then. It was on DOS, it was on the Super Nintendo, it was on the Sega Genesis, it was on a 3DO. Um, it was on a bunch of stuff. What the hell's then, a 3DO, Dave? What the hell's a 3DO? Yeah. That's a gaming system that was made. 
uh, back in the 90s that was uh, super popular. Mm. It was a Panasonic system. We, we talked a little bit about it because it was made by the guy who uh, founded EA. It was made by Trip Hawkins. I don't no. think I don't think I dug into it that much because probably there I said, "Hey, let's do an episode on a 3DO." You know what I mean? Cause yeah, because I, uh, I, you know, we may have touched on it then, but it definitely isn't one of those ones that I can recall. And I don't know. That sounds more like a Star Wars character than anything else. Oh, that's a good joke. That's a really good joke. Um, let's see. Did we put it in the calendar anywhere? Uh, not this year. What about next year? Not next year. When did it come out? October 4th. Uh, we already have October 4th filled. Maybe that's why I couldn't figure out where to put it. Anyway, 3DO is a console that was made by Trip Hawkins. It was a Panasonic and it was, uh, it was a competitor in the fifth generation of video game consoles, um, that, you know, supposed to have. 3D polygon graphics and all that fun stuff. Uh, but it was beat out by, you know, the PlayStation like everyone else. So anyway, so they sold a million copies between all those old systems. And, you know, then as the game got older, they started to re-release it as anniversary editions. There's a 15th anniversary edition. There's a 20th anniversary edition. These were all released on the modern platforms you know that it you can get on the PS3, you can get on the PS4, you can get on the Xbox One. It's it was released for the Switch. It did spawn one sequel called Heart of the Alien. Um, it's a sequel that Shy kind of I mean he literally had no input on it. They asked him if they could do it. They talked about it. He said that yeah sure go ahead and do it. I think it'd be really cool if you recreate the first game from the Alien allies' point of view and. Well, that's not what the game is. I mean, the game stars the alien, but it's a completely different game. And he's just not a fan of what they did. And it just sold. Okay. I mean, my only complaint there is if you did it from the aliens point of view, how much would change? You'd be playing the same game for at least half of it, I'd say. Well, but half of it, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's a little less than half because there are quite a few times, but where you're separated. Yeah, but I don't know. I just feel like it would, it would be kind of cool to see, but I feel like that'd be better to do as an expansion to the original and having something different in the new one. You yeah, know? maybe. Well, but again, they, you know, that, he's the creator, so I guess it is really his his uh his input. Well, they made Heart of the Alien. It's the eight stars the alien in a different adventure after the game and it's just not it's just not what he wanted so but i will tell you that uh, this game is cited by quite a few game designers as having a huge influence on their careers Hmm. uh fumito yeda once said that another world inspired him to make ico which is a, a modern example of a cinematic platformer hideo kojima who we recently talked we talked about in our metal gear episode he once put out a list of the five games that mattered the most in his life. And this was one of the five games alongside Super Mario Brothers, Xevious, and Metal Gear Solid was what his own game was on there. Um, uh, of course. But, but, you know, this was one of his, he considers this his influences. 
Suda51, who's the, the, the designer of Lollipop Chainsaw and more most most more well-known No More Heroes, has called this his favorite video game. And in an interview with Silent Hill creator Kichiro Toyama, um, Toyama had this to say about Another World. He said, it's not a survival horror moment. But the beginning of the game, Another World, made me feel like I had really had been swallowed and dropped alone on a vast new world. That scene had a deep impact on me, and it was at that moment that I first began to consider the potential that video games had for stirring an emotion like fear in the player. Wow. So, I mean, it's pretty obvious that this game was important to a lot of people. It It's what it did... The, the way it was designed, the emotions, the cinematic co- uh, concept of it, it's something that a lot of people took away from it. And honestly, it, I think it's a, a, a early cinematic masterpiece in video games. It's definitely the masterpiece of its time. And you can see its influence as you continue to trace, you know, to trace the history of cine- other cinematic games. You know, Kojima is, out of the list I just said, Kojima's the best known. He's definitely well known for cinematic games, and this this is his inspiration, you know. Um, so this may not be well known to us, but for a whole generation of game designers, this was a very very important game and a pivotal pivotal moment that they took away something very important on, you know. Well, with that being the case, I can see how hugely important this game really is because it inspired so many game creators that created a lot of the content that we really enjoy. Very true. So I guess we can accredit this game to the success of many games of our childhood. We can. Adulthood. So after Another World, Eric Shy founded uh, a studio called Amazing Studio Game Development Studio. And they began to work on a side-scrolling game called Heart of Darkness. As was the case with his games, it also languished in development hell. This one took six years to create. <laughs> it, was he doing this one alone as well? No, definitely not. Um, this game was released in 1998 and was only moderately received. After that, he left the gaming industry. Guess enough was enough. And he only reappeared in the 20, about 2010, somewhere in the mid 2010 uh, to work for Ubisoft at Ubisoft. He worked on a game called from dust, which I remember I never played it. It's a mix between populous and black and white, which are two games that I freaking love. And so I probably should play from dust sometime. After that, uh, Shy took some time to work on a 3D interactive lava simulator for a volcano museum near Madagascar. Pretty cool that that's on his game design list. And most recently, he created the indie gaming studio Pixel Reef. And in 2020, they released a virtual reality title called Paper Beasts, which he took. Basically, he took some of the technology from his lava simulator and... Uh, turned it into Paper Beasts. I actually own Paper Beasts, but I've never played it, so I don't have much to say on it. You know, that good old backlog, Rob. That good old backlog, Dave. Thousands of games long. You know what else we have a backlog on? What's that, Dave? 
our podcast where people can find old episodes. And you know where they can find them, Rob? Um, I, I actually don't, Dave. I think you do. They can find them on our website, which is www.memorycardlane.com. Also on memorycardlane.com, you can find a list of our upcoming episodes. You can find links to submit your own memories. You can find our biographies, our show notes, our old episodes, and a link to our Discord where you can come join us, play video games, do all that fun stuff. Our social media plugs are on there. Links, plugs, whatever. It's a link there. It's a plug here. I am on various platforms as David is wrong. Rob, where can people find you? I can be found on twitch.tv as fat boy rips. Boy with an I, rips with a Z. Ripsy. So yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, each week we like to tell you a story. This week you just heard a story about another world. It was out of this world. I didn't mention that. And, and, and uh, over here, it was known as out of this world because there was a soap opera called Another World. They didn't want it. They didn't want people to be confused. So they changed the title when they brought it over here. So, yeah, I know you mentioned the title change, but I don't know if I if that you explain why. So that's, I, that's I did pre- it. pretty interesting. There, there you go. Because well, of a soap opera. Because of soap opera. All right. So every week we tell you a story about a game. This week we told you a story about another world. While telling you stories, we hope to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world in its legacy. While doing so, while teaching you, while telling you stories, we admit that we learn things too. Honestly, that's the best part about doing this week in, week out. I didn't know anything about this game. Now I do. More knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. There you go. Another plug from back then, Rob. Yeah. So as part of acknowledging that we learn things too, we like to go round table each week and talk about our biggest takeaways. So Rob, what did you learn this week? Well, Dave, obviously I learned a whole lot about this game. I think one of the most interesting things has to be how throughout the gameplay, you can see the way that Eric felt during the development, uh, yeah. the loneliness that he felt and then realizing yeah. that he should be doing it with someone else. Um, and almost coming to an end, feeling that he couldn't get through to it, but then finding that in him to complete the game. It's actually knowing that behind the story and knowing that it's designed in a sense to kind of mimic how he was feeling during that. It's actually very interesting to me. Um, it's it's 100% as you play through the game or even watch the game, you can see that development. And, and it, when you can actually put the story behind it, it has that same feeling of how music does where it, it portrays the emotions and you can actually feel how he may have felt during that simply because of what you see on the screen and what you're experiencing. I think that's incredible. That's not something we hear very often. Very true. So that's it for me. But uh, what about you? I'm curious to hear what you have to say. I was really fascinated by the fact that he winged this as he went along. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, essentially that's, that's what he did. I mean, a lot of a lot of people do stuff like that. You know, we we always tote storyboarding and planning as 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 the way to go. But the truth is, is a lot of us start projects without knowing where the end is or vice versa. Sometimes, you know, the beginning, you know, as as, speaking as a creative person, a writer and, 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 you know, my little hobbies. Sometimes, you know, the beginning, but you don't know the end. Sometimes you see the end. You don't know the beginning. You know, occasionally I just picture a single scene and then I have to figure out what's around it. So the the thought of just sitting down and going, all right, here we go. That's kind of really funny and fascinating to me. 
And it also gives way to what you just talked about where, you know, he was able to kind of his game develop the game, the game's story in a way is his development diary because you can feel what he was going through as a developer by playing through the game. So there you go. I'm kind of with you too. But that's right on um, Dave. That's another world. That's it. We did it. We did it. Yeah, we did Dave. Woo. Well, Rob, I, um, I guess I'm going to take it out of here, but before I do so, what would you like to add to today's episode? Well, Dave, as always, I want to take a quick moment to say thank you so much to everyone for listening. We really enjoy having you here, and we hope you enjoy being here. Do we, though? I sure do. I can't speak for Dave because he's a butt. I am totally a butt. But I'm you a are, butt. Dave. I'm a butt who's about to share next week, so. Woo. Rob, you know, it's been two years since we started this podcast. It will be in a week. It will be two years. No, in two weeks. No, in a week. You're right. It'll be in a week. What am I thinking about? We're... I don't know, Dave. It's like we're trying to pre-record an episode or something. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> All right. It will be two weeks from when we're recording this, but one week from when y'all are going to listen to this. How's that? There you go, Dave. Look at that. Giving context clues to when we do things. Crazy. So it's really appropriate that we're going to go back to a game that we talked about in our very first episode. It has literally been two years since we last talked about this game. Ooh, interesting. Except when we talked about this game in our first episode... We didn't have this format. We weren't really focused on the history. It We were focused on like cool stories and emotions, and it took us some time to find the history. So we've never actually told the story about this game. Hmm, interesting. Do you remember the Do you remember the games that we talked about in the first episode? Any of them? We did three. Hmm. I forgot I, it was I, multiple in the first one. It, it was um, but I definitely remember Mario Kart. It was Mario Kart. Do you remember any of the others? Uh, at the moment, no, I can't say that I do. We did Battlefield. Oh. We did Brothers, too. I don't remember if that was the first episode. But remember, I made I you play Brothers. I don't think that was the first episode, no, Maybe but I do second. remember that game. It was around there, but absolutely. I, I, I do remember member, uh, Mario Kart just because I you know happened to ha- read ahead in the show notes. Yeah, very true. Well, looking to make a racing game, <laughs> looking to make a racing game where two players could play simultaneously on one screen, a development team at Nintendo decided to make just a generic kart racing game. So they're putting this game together, and a few months in, someone just made a random suggestion to add Mario into the game. And well, the rest is Mario Kart and its history. So join us again next week as we rage against our kart racing friends, because that's what you do when you play Mario Kart. Rage against the machine on yet another trip down memory card lane. Do the thing.